1: Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.
3: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane,
2: so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land.
0: You
3: know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com
2: to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious
4: prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com,
0: available
1: to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms
4: and conditions apply. From grandmothers who whispered in their baby girl ear, to fathers on dimly lit street corners instructing young soldiers to always keep their eyes open. You be queen. You were fired. You were passed through centuries on the hands of your daughters. They called you wisdom, proverbs. On the backs of diamond-eyed schoolchildren who grew into hymnals recited by amethyst-holding urban philosophers who recited neighborhood commandments out of the windows of restored El Camino chariots to keep the warmth in their blood. Be wise, be smart, be black opal, brown quartz, bloodstone and prayer, be every form of gem. King told scribe, scribe told son, son told wife, wife told her daughter, and daughter told the ancestors, and the ancestors told me that you would come to give wisdom to thousands. They said you would come. Dropping Gems.
3: Back at it. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Dropping Gems podcast. I am your host, Debbie Brown. And this is a show where we explore higher consciousness for real life. So wherever you happen to find yourself on the path, whether you are just beginning your beautiful spiritual journey, whether you are deepening, whether you are in integration and embodiment, or whether you are in your beautiful mastery, um, this show has something for everyone and is filled with opportunities to observe and explore ourselves with Tenderness, with joy, uh, and with urgency. So, today's show, we are really going to be leaning into some of the hows. If you happen to be catching this show in May, it's mental health month, and a lot of expansive conversations are happening around mental health. That has become, gratefully, um, a big centerpiece of the ways in which we are looking at ourselves and looking at society right now. And when we think of mental health, I think sometimes it's considered that it exists in a completely different category than our spiritual well-being, but the way that I see things is always through a holistic lens and holistic approach, and it's really about the integration of all of the things for our highest good. So what are all the pillars that we we can lean into as we remember our wholeness? So when I think of mental health, I think of it as encompassing our spiritual journey, our journey potentially in therapy or with psychologists, um, our experiences with how we're treating ourselves and our bodies and our ability to kind of stand in our self-awareness and to be with ourselves and Something I've, I speak to on this show, but I definitely am in conversation so often with many different friends, especially in this wellness space, is around how there is such a false narrative and belief in what wellness is supposed to look like. That it is this you know, destination you've arrived at and all of a sudden everything is all good. But I think most teachers um, that stand in their authenticity will be the first to tell you, including myself, That it's less about being in positivity and less about this perfection as it is about an acceptance and an allowance of the natural ebbs and flows of life and the natural uh, weaving of our spiritual curriculum and the lens of perception that we choose in each moment to view it with and how we allow it to relate to our sense of self and our sense of worth. So on today's show, I really want to kind of sit inside the pieces about our self-awareness and using it as a tool of resistance, using our wholeness as a tool of resistance in the world, and really using our ability to check in with our bodies and our ability to question our feelings and kind of stay steeped in a joyful curiosity of self-study as the way in which we can begin to experience ourselves um, for long-term lasting effects of peace, ease, and grace in this uh, constantly winding journey (laughs) that we call life on earth. As human beings, as our beautiful spiritual souls exist in this human technology, our bodies, and how to make this experience of being alive on earth uh, for our highest good and for maximum connection to the divine, and to our ascension. So today's show is gonna be kind of stepping into all of those things, and I have a really special guest. And what I really love about this guest, who I'm gonna kind of deepen in my explanation of in just a moment, what I really love about this guest is not only is he deeply um, within his spiritual process and practice, he's a masterful teacher of his work and of Buddhist teachings, but he's also a man. Who is committed to feeling all the feels, which is so radical in and of itself, especially um, in society up until this point, uh, and especially in this country, and especially when it comes to men of color. So today's episode, I'll be introducing a wonderful person who I consider a great friend, a beautiful leader in this space, and someone who deeply, deeply works this process and shows up with the work. My special guest today's name is Manoj Dias. So since first being introduced to the magic of meditation decades ago and embarking on his own journey, Manoj Dias has helped thousands of people to embrace stillness of mind and body, enabling them to live fearlessly on the path to a happier and more meaningful life. His teaching and practice is informed by Buddhist philosophy, psychology, and social justice principles, with an emphasis on promoting diversity and inclusion in the wellness space. After training under renowned teachers, Manoj has based himself between the US and Australia for the past five years, teaching meditation and mindfulness across both continents. In 2015, he founded A-Space, Australia's first drop-in meditation studio. And in 2020, he became the co-founder of Open, a California-based wellness platform. He is also the co-founder of the Australian New Zealand Arm of Everyman, a men's emotional intelligence movement. So welcome to the show, my friend, Manoj Dias. Hello.
5: Hello, my beautiful friend. Nice to see your face.
3: So good to see you. It is so good to spend time with you. A little background on me and Manoj. We kind of met through the Chopra universe, um, through a very wonderful mutual friend of ours, and then we found ourselves one evening in Venice, having um, a delicious chicken meal, (laughs) (laughs) also people watching, um, but having really beautiful, beautiful conversation. And I know I felt like when we were sitting there breaking bread and talking about the world and talking about our souls and talking about God. I just felt um, I just felt deeply connected and I've I've loved your work from afar. I love following you on social. I've had the chance to peek into some of your gorgeous meditations and so I'm really excited to have you on the show today.
5: Oh, Devi, thank you. And and I felt exactly the same way. And I think I left because I just moved from from Australia to LA and then you were like you and, and Darlene or actually like the first one of the first people that I'd had dinner with in the middle of COVID, right? It was a bit weird at that time because no one was really eating out and we just kind of had that little, little meal and it was a really beautiful moment. So yes, I, I definitely feel the same way.
3: Yeah. So how's your heart right now? How are you feeling as we're coming on the other side of what has been, um, for those living in this moment in time? Um, probably the most challenging moment in human history for us. How are you feeling coming into your new normal in this new country? Mm. Um, Yeah. In the midst of this.
5: I think it's, it's holding a lot really, you know, like it's, it's, Mm. it's holding um, grief. It's holding excitement. It's holding space. Um, But I, I, you know, it's hard to get so excited where so many things are still happening all around the world. And, you know, we're now seeing things happening in India and in Colombia. We're seeing, you know, ongoing police brutality. And it just sometimes feels like it's so much, you know, it's so much. And then I just realized, like, this is just life. Like, life has always been inherently unstable. And it's always been full of ups and downs and pain and sorrow. And We have this saying in, in Buddhism that life contains 10,000 joys and, and 10,000 sorrows. And it very much feels like that, you know? Like I am also holding space for new things and for love and for um, compassion and for friendship, which is all really beautiful. And, and I also know on the other side of that is, is the opposite.
3: I, I really love that you anchor the conversation and that to start, because I would really love to speak to that. I've been observing even within myself. um, And this is, I mean, this is actually something I've observed my whole life about me that I think I used to think was just something I experienced, but now I'm knowing and learning that it's actually by design for the human experience. Um, But that I exist in a space where 24-7 things are beautiful and terrifying all at once. Mm -hmm you know, and sitting even with that grief. And I've shared on the show before, um, I think I could paint a picture for how grief exists inside of me because I'm I'm equal parts kind of exuberance, radiance, peace, and grief all mm. the time. Mm. And a lot of that is from losing a lot of people to violence in my life and, um, you know, all the things, all the things. But it's kind of, I experienced it like this, like with my son, right? He, um, he turns three actually uh, tomorrow. He... I grieve him every day because he becomes a new person, Mm. but every single day I'm also like enthralled and inspired with all the facets of who he's becoming and both happen at the exact same time for
5: me. Yeah. And, and you said it right there in in, in that last paragraph where we're grieving and and we're grieving moments that we didn't know grief, right? Like 2020 (laughs) was a year in which we were grieving possibilities like we're grieving relationships, we're grieving um, friendships, we're grieving the ability to go to the gym, we're grieving what, what might've been. And this has obviously been more profound for, for many of us in, in 2020, but I think we're still living with the remnants of that in our bodies. And you know, just because we've got the vaccine and life seems to you know go back to normal, it doesn't mean the trauma of, of the grief has left us. So now is, is the work. It's like, you know, my daughter's, you know, uh, in Australia, and, and I spoke to her recently, and she's having a lot of social anxiety. It's like, I don't know how to return to the world, you know, especially if you're locked up in, 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 indoors for 23 hours a day for seven months. Like, how do you then go from that to just life is normal? And, and you know, everything is back to normal, where it's not for many of us. And I think we'll start to understand that over the next few months and years and maybe even lifetimes, what we have just experienced.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, my intention is really to keep my life closer to what my pandemic life looked like than actually mm. trying to get back to what it was before.
5: Right, right. And it's 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 so profound to we even say that my view on the world, which is what you're saying has changed. And I kind of like this and and that's okay too, right? Because it gave us, like I said, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows and and lessons and also trauma. And, And I think part of our work as meditators is the whole space for all of these things, not just positivity and not just happiness, but also everything else that surrounds that because I believe that's how wisdom grows. And as wisdom grows, compassion grows. And I want to move through my life through with those two things, like wisdom and compassion. And I know if I can, then I can face anything that comes my way.
3: Mm. Mm. That's so beautiful. Can you share with me some of your Buddhist lineage? How did you find that particular path? And why did it speak to you?
5: Well, first of all, I don't think I necessarily uh, picked it, but I was born into it my family uh, was I was raised in Sri Lanka and from a very young age monks were in our house we were doing ceremonies and Sri Lanka itself is a very deeply uh, Buddhist and spiritual place and I wasn't necessarily drawn to their teachings from a young age but there was just a fascination around Mm -hmm. their aura and their energy they were always laughing they were always calm they had funny faces with bald heads and my dad told me the story, um, you know, when I was in my late teens, that he from a very young age, I was drawn to them and drawn to the practice because I would see them walking on the sides of the roads. And whenever I would see them, I would get up from the car, like where I was seated, I put my hands together, like in a prayer position, and I would bow. And he used to get really scared, because usually what that means, if a child does that from a young age, is that he wants to become a monk he wants to take robes and he wants to go down that path so he used to joke around saying he used to get my mom to hide him he's like make sure he doesn't see like you know these monks and it's (laughs) ironic you know like 30 odd years later here I am being you know a meditation teacher but there was always a, a fascination with what existed beyond me yeah and I didn't know if that was God I didn't know if that was consciousness I didn't know what it really meant but I knew that there was something bigger than, than me that existed in the world. Mm-hmm. At least I believed that, even if I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we migrated to Australia, I really lost a lot of that because the culture was very different. Um, and then, you know, I had a, a pretty normal upbringing. I mean, I wouldn't say normal upbringing, but I had an upbringing and I started working. And one day uh, I was in marketing and advertising. One day I had a, a pretty serious and, and big panic attack. And um, that was like the catalyst for everything in my life. I I went to different doctors and psychologists and um, healers and just tried to get well and tried to get better because at that point I developed an eating disorder. I was really anxious. I had depression. um, I was misdiagnosed with ADHD and eventually ended up developing an addiction to prescription medication. And so I was in a really bad place and and every doctor I was seeing or psychologist I was seeing were just giving me different opinions. You know, one had said it's just anxiety or it's just stress. Mm -hmm. One said it's ADHD and and another one's like, no, it's depression. Take this medication and take this medication. Eventually I was just like, intuitively I had a feeling that I don't think it is. Like there's something else that was going on for me and I'm sure all of that was part of my my suffering at the time, no doubt but I just wasn't drawn to the medication and I don't have anything against medication. I think it's really potent and powerful and needed uh, from time to time. But for me I had a feeling that I just needed to just go somewhere and um, I didn't go anywhere but randomly I found myself one day in a yoga studio and this yoga teacher turned out to be a Buddhist meditation teacher and I in that very first class. He said that you are not your suffering,
4: and mm-hmm. you
5: are you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that was a very profound moment for me because, uh, first of all, I started to notice my thoughts. In that moment, I started to notice all the negative thoughts, like you're a, you're useless, you're never going to get better again, um, you're worthless. Like you're, how are you going to look after your daughter? What are you going to have for lunch? And, like all these weird thoughts running through my mind. And then I noticed myself observing those thoughts. And then when he said, you know, you are not your suffering, I'm like, well, maybe I can observe my suffering the Mm -hmm. same way I can observe my thoughts. And, you know, that very first class, something began to click and I slept better than I ever had before. And I came back the next day, the next day and the next day. And I ended up studying with him every day for five years. And I legitimately thought at one point I was going to take robes and was going to be a monk, but decided against it. And um, I started teaching only because he asked me to teach one day. And um, the rest is kind of history, I guess.
3: Wow, wow. So there's a lot I wanna dive into there. First things first, because you took me on an epic journey just now. <laughs> um, first things first, I think, you know, it's so interesting. So you were raised, you were raised Buddhist. And so that was your foundation. And and I hope I'm going to be able to unravel this in the way that it's coming together in my mind. But I'm not someone that was ever raised with any religions or beliefs, right? Um, not at all. I was aware of christianity i was aware of catholicism um i was born and raised in la and so even though there wasn't like a back in the 80s a robust meditation community i was always seeing buddhas everywhere and i was always seeing different beliefs that play in different cultures um so i was always profoundly deeply intrigued by these cultural systems and by beliefs um But my journey, I really found it because I was just in such deep longing for God. Um, And that's the resounding feeling I remember always feeling. It was this gnawing desire to know God more deeply um, and trying to find the pathways there. But, you know, it's interesting because even though you, Buddhism is such a gorgeous, such a gorgeous path. And you were raised with it and you were raised with the knowledge of how to utilize it. Yet, isn't it so interesting how even when we strive to raise our children in certain ways with these structures and beliefs, kind of as humanity, we still find ourselves at the crossroad where we have to choose something for ourselves. And you Uh. ended up choosing the lineage that you actually was already so deep in your heart, but it was still a very specific choice you made. And so even the system of belief that you were raised with, there was a moment where you received it more deeply applied it potentially in new ways and then cured yourself of your suffering um so i would just love any thoughts or observations on that
5: yeah and so maybe i'll start at the end where i don't think i've cured myself from my suffering i've learned how to relate to my suffering differently Mm -hmm. and i think that's an important distinction because we can think that meditation and spirituality can cure us of, of our ailments. And that's actually a way of bypassing the experience of itself, right? You know, I still get anxious from time to time. I'm still neurotic from time to time. I get very angry often. You know, I'll binge eat, you know, I'll crave cigarettes. Like all of that is, is still very much in, in my experience. But now I've related to, I've learned how to relate to my suffering and my thoughts around the suffering a lot, a lot more differently. But I think also what's really interesting is I was, although I was raised around Buddhism, Buddhism in Sri Lanka is more focused on the practice of it. So more around the worship, more around um, generosity and and cultivation of generosity. There was no uh, impetus to practice meditation. Like that just isn't part of the culture in in a lot of Asian countries, actually. Um, But I think what you said is really true is that there's a crossroads in our life and we we're each presented with with moments you know that they're defining moments in our life and for me it was a divine or defining i'm not sure how to separate the two it was a moment when someone was saying something very practical to me and it wasn't shrouded in buddhism at all actually he was like hey life contains suffering and i was like Shit, Yeah, it does. Like, how come no one's ever said that to me like that before? And then it was like, your suffering isn't personal. And I'm like, wow, because, you know, when we're going through something, it's like, I am anxious, I am suffering, I am lonely, I am the victim. And that might be true. But then you realize, so are all of us, right? We are all traumatized to, to some extent. We are all Are going to experience this at some point in our life and that creates a separation and that for me was just someone saying something very practical i didn't decide at that moment i'm going to reconnect to buddhism it was much later on where i just studied with various teachers and it made so much sense to me and and that's really what i take from these teachings that it just makes a lot of sense and it's it doesn't require me to give up any other belief it doesn't require me to take on this as being true and everything as being false. It's like, this is just a, a recipe for how to navigate my mind and, and my life. And that just felt very, very serendipitous to me.
3: Mm, mm. I love that so much. Um, I still relate to that. And it, it changes the perspective of how we approach any and everything. You know, it, it puts us more instead of these like, Passive participants, we become active participants in our lives mm. or co-creators. You know, I, I think yes. um, meditation for me really expanded my knowingness of the choice, the power of choice that I hold. Um, and my ability to pivot whenever the hell I want to. Right. You know, like your right. ability to just pick and choose what is for me. And not take things. Per- I don't even take my own criticisms of myself personally. You know.
5: <laughs> mm, mm. And really, that's the beauty of mindfulness, right? It gives us it gives us uh, that gap, that space between a stimulus and a response. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about is just your wisdom in in knowing that over the years of your own practice, you've created these moments of, of gaps between stimulus and response, and you get to choose wisely at that moment, you know, you get to choose something that leads towards happiness and away from suffering.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have a book that is coming um, May 25th, to be exact. Your book, Still Together, will be hitting shelves. It's available for pre-order now, everybody listening. So please go on this page, go on Amazon, go to wherever you connect with your books. Um, Still Together is the title. And I know, you know, the background on the book, it takes an active approach to reclaiming true and deep connection in our day-to-day lives, looking at the feelings associated with disconnection, this guide presents steps through meditation and mindfulness practices to address these feelings. Oh, the world needs this.
5: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the irony of, of writing a book about connection when I'm disconnected just wasn't, it wasn't lost on me, you know, and Say, I, speak
3: to that, please.
5: Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I don't know if I've said this to you personally before, but I, I signed the book deal in, in 2019. And as you probably know, I'm very unorganized. So I signed it and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll have some time to write it. And literally (laughs) seven months, I didn't touch it. I'm just living my best life. I was in New York City. I was like, just life is great. And then uh, around January, end of January, my publisher's like, hey, like, can you, what's happening with the manuscript? Are you going to get it through to us? And I'm like... I'm going to start it as soon as I get back to Australia, which was the next week. And I just got back to Australia. And that's when COVID like really spread into Australia and the US. And we went into lockdown. And so we were only allowed out for one hour a day. Uh, And for seven months, I was living by myself. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I've got to write a book about connection when I'm disconnected with everyone and um, it really helped me but it also it also really inspired me to practice what I was writing you know because it wasn't just I was writing it to sell a book it was like I'm writing this to actually heal myself (laughs) and you know it, it just took on a life of its own to be really honest with you and a lot of the book explores the way that, you know, in modern life, we disconnect, you know, we, we disconnect from each other, we disconnect from our bodies, our, what our bodies are feeling, and, and we disconnect from the present moment, and that has consequences and, and ramifications, and then it's, it's a call to arms to, to reconnect, and especially to reconnect with people That we don't agree with or we don't think that we have anything in common with and it's also a call to arms to reconnect with our bodies because we tend to as a culture focus a lot on the mind you know our mind like we're we're so obsessed with happiness and productivity and focus Mm. and achieving we completely disconnect from the neck down and from the feeling from the intuition from the sense of coming home and we realize in a year like 2020, when we're, tra- we're traumatized, the healing begins in the body. It doesn't begin in the mind because we can tell ourselves, yes, life is going back to normal, but really the body hasn't caught up yet. And, and for me, that's where I've had to do a lot of the work uh, with my trauma is to create space for compassion to, to exist for, for the pain. Mm. <sighs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I think so many people listening to this show, especially, can really relate to that. A conversation that we have quite a bit here is reconnecting to your body and also um, understanding what has kept us separate. Because, you know, I think especially here, like sometimes our disconnection from our body is 1 million percent rooted in trauma. But then also, you know, for a lot of us here in America, when you live in this system of structural systemic oppression, since the dawn of society here, you know, and you were anything other than white, Uh, you have never felt safe in your body potentially, you know, And, and you take on this againstness of always imagining that it's you or something wrong with you. And I think it hits every facet. Like, um, there are so many conversations happening around this of even being performative with our bodies in so many different ways from athleticism to, even the way we experience sex, like it just being performance or even noticing Mm. that you're not presently in yourself, even when you are in movement and flow with your body. Um, Mm. And it's such as someone who has come back into their body. And that's been a huge, huge challenging part of my work with my own journey. Can you speak to what it feels like to be in your body? the way that i've been experiencing it it's just like it is just it's a safety i never knew i had access to it is a stability and a peace i never even knew was an option until i felt it
5: you know i felt the essence of what you just said I, i felt that in my body and just how you said it and that really speaks to it you know like when you are in your body you're communicating on a whole different level and you're receiving on a whole different level, but you're also safe to be yourself. And I think for black and Brown folks here, but also probably throughout the world, it doesn't feel safe to be ourselves. Mm. You know, it, it, we, we are constantly comparing ourselves to culture and what culture tells us we have to look like and how culture se- tells us we have to present ourselves and how culture, tones our emotions and our feelings and so being in our body is a strength and it's a courage but it's also a deep love we have mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. ourselves because we can respect ourselves enough to stay in it you know and and we'll never abandon ourselves i think that is the most profound lesson i've learned that when i am not in my body my body i'm abandoning myself mm. in, in thought, in my deed or in my action I am abandoning myself and I think about what it would be like to abandon my daughter and it just breaks my heart yeah, wow. it just breaks my heart and I'm like I do that to myself so much I do that to myself so much and if there is someone with a big personality and a big energy and then I shrink and I change how I speak or change how I show up I'm abandoning myself. If someone makes me angry and I don't express that in a healthy way, I abandon myself. When I'm presented with love and I can't receive that love, I'm abandoning myself. And we all, I think will have different variations of, of this, but the greatest work of our time, I think, is to remember that we are whole and we are complete. But mm-hmm. despite what the world tells us.
3: Hold that thought. We are coming right back.
0: You know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots
2: Thank you to the geniuses of Spoken Audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
3: You know, that is the work, right? Because I, I find, you know, and I, I probably say this every episode. So apologies, listeners, if you're tired of hearing this, but, um, you know, it's there's so many conversations happening about mental health. So many conversations happening about mindfulness, um, and they're expansive. And there's so many facets. Like it's such a it's such a vast umbrella with so many different lanes underneath it, and and so many different pathways. But the work is really rooted in that experience of oneself in the fullness of that. So really understanding that, like on Earth as souls, right? I think we've all kind of established that baseline of we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So shout out to our humanity here on earth. You know, as as we're kind of steeped in that, it's utilizing the gifts and the best assets. Like our body is actually our technology, right? Like just the way, you know, a computer we view as a technology and, and the piece to get the things done that we need, whether that's connection or work, as a human being, our body is our technology. And so really understanding how to be with it and utilize it for your highest good as part of what this experience is meant to be. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, as we kind of talk about that, um, just to reflect back to how we started this piece of the conversation, like in this leg of my journey, I'm even noticing, you know, this is my soul's house. This, this, This bag of bones that I'm in, this is my soul's house. And so part of my healing now has really just been in honoring that. And so, you know, really creating ritual around that, really knowing how to be with myself. And, you know, as 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 a man, I'm curious of what that feels like for you. Because I think for women, we're encouraged, right, mm-hmm. to be with our bodies, or we're encouraged to be sometimes very hyper aware of our bodies, whether that right. is you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, sexually, but our bodies are always at the forefront of our mind um, and the forefront of everyone else's mind (laughs) all the time, right? And so even in reclaiming that, that's been so powerful because so many women and girls are trained to look at their bodies um, just in the way it's received by the people viewing them outside of ourselves. Mm. So that reclamation, um, sometimes that really looks like even relearning – how you want to move or what is yeah, maybe yeah. perceived performative femininity versus the deepest part of how you internally want to express what your essence is mm. so i'm curious how that feels for you or, or how you have observed that either in yourself or with all of the men that you really help heal
5: mm. i want to take a moment to see how that landed because you just dropped some gems right there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know, it's really, it's so wonderful to speak to anyone that's fully embodied. And I think whenever we speak, I feel that, you know, from you, like you, you feel this in your bones and it's not performative and it doesn't come from the head. It comes from the body. I think as men, we're not trained how to be in our body. We're Mm -hmm. so trained to think our way through things, you know, and that's why we cause the majority of the harm in this world it's because we're so cognized we think Mm -hmm. from the head we don't think from the body and we're not we're not allowed to feel anger we're not allowed to feel softness we're not allowed to feel compassion we don't know this because many of us aren't given that opportunity in our childhood you know we don't have the best role models and i think our work as as men is not to throw out this idea of masculinity because yes there's toxic masculinity and all of that and and i don't disagree with that but i think it's to evolve and it's to also recognize the harm that we cause to ourselves, and when we do that we cause to everyone else around us right Mm -hmm. and a lot of the work i've done with men around the world is to invite them to stay in the body when things get uncomfortable, you know, and and to be able to acknowledge that and to be able to use the rage that's coming up because, you know, rage isn't bad. Like I grew up with a very, very angry father and he yelled and he, you know, he he used to spank me and my, my bro. And, you know, I love him to death. He's like an amazing father, but, you know, I experienced that. And, now in my relationship, anytime my anger comes up, I'm like, "Whoa, bad, get that, get, make sure that's under control. Don't be your dad. And mm-hmm. even though the intention is pure, the, the output can be quite harmful to ourselves because anger isn't bad. Anger is a, a message, right? Anger is telling you something, but the work is to create space for that. And then to use that anger in a way that doesn't harm others right? And that's where men have to really begin to relearn our relationship to emotion and to feeling and to hold space for each other. You know, I think that's something that's been really profound for me. I joined a men's group. I started a men's group in, in 2017. Um, and we just <laughs> spoke about our feelings. And the first, the first few times we did that, it was like weird. And but then you realize like, okay, here is another man watching this other guy completely break down in tears and he's not going over to him he's not saying it's okay it's all right just cheer up he's just silent and he's just holding space for another man to feel his feelings and um i have personally been very very grateful for experiences like that and i think there's a lot of deep work we need to do as as men for sure to Mm. to reclaim ourselves and to reclaim our bodies and to honor the women in our life
3: Mm. thank you for saying that yeah sometimes it feels like you know and, and this might be really rooted in my human experience but sometimes it does feel like as we're all diligently doing the work we can still um only raise our collective consciousness as high as men's healing will allow you know and I think women were naturally for many of us even if even if we don't you know um In this incarnation, are not able to become fully embodied and expressed. Our training is in nurturance. Um, Our training is in at least some level of transparency and openness. We are, we're even um, pretty enthusiastically guided to start gossiping really young, constantly talking about shared experience or opinions or thoughts or how we're experiencing ourselves. Um, And that, that is an extended to men. They're on the complete other end of the spectrum where it's like suppress suppress all the feelings all the time don't even be extra happy when you feel happy and definitely don't um don't express when you're feeling sad discomfort excuse me disappointed or shamed how how does a man begin his relationship of settling into his body like in a moment where that sacred rage or that anger is coming up how how can someone begin to shift into that role of observer? And just being with themselves and that being enough.
5: With tenderness.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I don't know if there's any other way. Like it's it's with tenderness. It's like that recognizing that this is hard for all of us. We're all traumatized, like we're all we're all in pain to some degree, even if we don't know it. And if we don't know it, it means we're in more pain than we than we actually you know, are aware of. And we have to be gentle with ourselves. We have to be curious with ourselves. We have to reach out for help. You know, I think the combination of meditation and therapy for me has been a game changer. It's genuinely changed my life. And in in turn, it's changed my relationships, you know, and and I couldn't have done that alone with meditation. And I couldn't have done that alone just with, with therapy. I think friendship is also a mirror as well you know having men around me that can speak about what they're feeling and they aren't afraid to to hold me accountable to a higher standard or a higher version of myself that has been tremendously helpful and then also like recognizing that women are such a women are such wonderful teachers like they they genuinely they genuinely are and I look at my mom, and you know, I've got a love-hate relationship with my mom, a uh, wonderful woman and amazing woman, but over the years you realize how your parents have traumatized you in different ways. But then you, re- you remember how much they had to hold, right?
3: Mm-hmm. They
5: had to hold, yeah, they had to hold their sons, they had to hold their husbands, they had to hold culture, they had to hold the patriarchy. And on top of that, they had to, you know, make, look good and be skinny and, you know, put on makeup and, and do all of this. And if you can reflect on that, you, you realize that there's just a natural empathy that just grows. Yeah, like genuinely, like when I look at my mom now, I'm just like, wow, mom, like you just did the best that you could, that holy, holy moly, you, you held so much, right? And I think just remembering our humanity in moments like that, and remembering um, the suffering of another, naturally softens you. It naturally softens you.
3: That was beautiful. Yeah, I think all of us needed to hear that as that reminder. You know, um, especially especially those of us that connect to to the lifelong path of doing the work, mm. um, because I do think that sometimes we get a little bit. Uh, we're really feeling ourselves right as we're healing and we get that we get this kind of momentum going and it's just like yeah look at me like slaying these dragons meeting these monsters I'm so strong I'm healing my lineage breaking Mm -hmm. through ancestral trauma and you know it's like we're giving ourselves these pat on the backs which we're deserving of because the work is work Mm -hmm. um and it takes it takes an immense amount of courage to face yourself um but our collective consciousness has risen to a point where it's also allowed us space to do that in a way that other generations didn't have. Yeah. And so extending that grace that you just really beautifully shared um, to your mother and and specifically in recognizing the fact that there were so many facets of things that she had to hold. And there were so many... Um, potentially layers of againstness that she held for herself from all the views of society on top of her own spiritual curriculum. And so to acknowledge that is so powerful. And I think so many of us, you know, it's, it's a constant ebb of flow of making peace with that, you know, because
5: yeah, no, so beautifully said Debbie. And, you know, this is, you talked about collective consciousness and I think the way it is going to continue to rise, is to recognize that each of us is a byproduct of causes and conditions. Ah, okay? like we we really are. Like if if you know if I was born in 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 LA, I would have had a very different experience by the nature of how I look compared to if I was born in, in Sri Lanka. Um, my parents, if they weren't immigrants, would have a very different effect on me. If they stayed in Sri Lanka, right? And each of us, we can't, we can't always choose the, wow. the conditions that we're raised in or that we experience. And if we can see that, this is my work, I know, with the people that I disagree with, the people that have the complete opposite opinion about me on any level, if I can understand, like, they are not a bad person, mm-hmm. they are just a byproduct of the causes and conditions that they experience there's healing in that moment there's there's space for understanding and i genuinely think only understanding will heal our society it's understanding and empathy and if i can sit in front of someone and feel their pain and hear their suffering and they have the complete different opinion to me like there is a moment there of connection because at that moment Me and this person are bonding under the fact that we both suffer and there is common ground, right? At that moment. And with common ground, like we heal. Mm. Mm.
3: That's so good. There was so much there. That was, um, yeah. Let's play this back a few times, everyone, and take a few notes. Um, Specifically when you said each of us is a product of causes and conditions. Wow. Yeah, I'm going a, to a journal to that later. Um, <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit more about your book, Still Together, that is in stores May 25th and available for pre-order now? You know, Speaking to this connection, specifically, you're exploring ways in this book that we feel detachment from our lives, um, our goals, and our friendships, and how to begin to reclaim ourselves through human connection. Why is the human connection such a necessary tool? and how yeah. do you explore that in this book?
5: Well, in my, in my research, I really explored Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I looked at that and, you know, friendships and social circles, it, it's up near the top of the pyramid. And I make a case that I think this is as important as food and water. And the reason I say that is because, okay, we might not die <laughs> if we don't see a friend for a month's time, you know? But I think we, we suffer psychologically in that, in that moment, Mm -hmm. the ability to, as, as an, as infants to have a parent that mirrors your emotions and your needs really changes the course of your life, right? That's connection right there. And as adults, the ability to have friends that do the exact same thing or a support system that do the exact same thing can heal you. And I'm not talking about the kind of friendship where everyone is giving you their opinion of how you should do this and how you should do that. We need those friends too. But I think human connection is the foundation to our happiness. I don't think it's possible to be truly happy without that. Mm -hmm. And so many connections I'll speak for myself. um, Aren't authentic. You know, they're, they're sometimes relationships or connections of convenience um, and that's okay too. Like a lot of my high school friends, we catch up every now and again and, and it's fun and it's easy and it's simple, but I don't have those heart-to-heart moments with them, right? I don't have those experiences where I'm genuinely getting a sense of this person's heart at that moment. Yeah. And I think that's a byproduct con- byproduct of social conditioning. Like we, we aren't trained to do that. We don't slow our mind enough to be present with someone. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this, this book leverages um, mindfulness philosophy, Buddhist psychology. It looks at some research um, around connection and, you know, our attachments to things like money and our attachments to our mobile phone and technology at large. <laughs> and it doesn't actually tell you don't do this because I, I don't believe in, in binaries like that it's more an invitation to consider the impact this is having on your life. And if it's having, it's having no impact at all, then that's great. Then life is good for you. Um, keep doing what you're doing, but it's also an invitation to be curious. If there, if you ever feel like there's something missing in your life, then that's an invitation to explore what connection means to you.
3: So something just came up for me, actually, in what you said that, That is really beautiful to savor. Um, What I'm hearing and what you're saying about connection is also it's so necessary for us because that is how we also experience ourselves. We can learn who we are and make the pivots or make the refinements really based on that mirroring and that reflection from another person. And what's, what's really beautiful about that to me is there's a book called Conversations with God. I've referenced it on the show. I love, love that book. But something that really struck me that I, I had always thought my whole life but I didn't have language for was in the book, um, the author is channeling with God and asks, you know, why, why do we exist? Why did, why did you even create human beings? And in the book, God responds by saying, um, I longed to experience myself. Oh. And what I'm hearing in even the beauty, and I don't even think I had, um, you know, I've always been aware of of the beautiful, reflective, mirrored nature of relationship, but I think this really just anchored for me the deeper understanding of how necessary connection and community is because it is also what allows us to experience our own selves.
5: Yeah. You know, the the, the Buddha has... um, three jewels that he talks about that we take refuge in. And, you know, this is sometimes in in Asian countries represented by an umbrella because we take refuge under an umbrella when it's raining. I've got a tattoo on my arm, which has like an umbrella. And we take refuge in three things, the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And that, that essentially represents the Buddha is someone's ability to awaken just like the Buddha did. Someone's ability to overcome suffering. The Dharma represents the way things are like, so a set of teachings that guide us throughout our life. And the Sangha represents a community and just this teaching on a refuge. Like we can take refuge in our friends and our community. When times are hard, we can take refuge in God or spirituality or consciousness or any belief system. When times are hard, And we can take refuge in the understanding that we will one day overcome that has just been so profound. And I, for the longest time, have been teaching that, you know, meditation isn't going to save your life. Uh, Meditation won't fix all of your problems. Mm. It's a combination of things. And a good diet is one. Having friends and a community is another one. You know, and, and having a therapist is also another one. Like all of these these things are so vital, but we don't live in a vacuum and we have to constantly interact with people. And so having a community and, and having a sangha or friends that you trust um, is vital for our spiritual well-being.
3: Hmm. I receive, yeah, yes. I, well, so I take back what I said at the top of this interview about wanting to now be isolated all the time, even in the new normal. I think really it's, it's the shift of I'm only available for the deepest relationships. Mm. Mm. That's all I'm available for actually. Yeah. Yeah.
5: No, it's, it's, it's profound. And, you know, I I consider you, like we have this saying in in Buddhism, it's called Kalyanamita. Kalyanamita means spiritual friend. Mm -hmm. Um, A spiritual friend is someone that you can have conversations. Like we always tend to have when we're together and I consider you that and there's something really healing for me in knowing that I have a friend like you that I can explore these topics with, you know, that we can, we can geek out on this for hours and hours and hours and not have an answer but just debate them, right, <laughs> debate them. And, and there's something really wonderful about that because we, we sacrifice our spiritual well-being in, in one life and spirituality can mean anything to you. Like it doesn't really, I don't really care what it means to you. But we sacrifice that because we disconnect from the bodies and our spirit is in the bodies, our spirit isn't in the mind.
3: Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I reflect that right back to you. We definitely are soul family. Mm. And you know, you know what's so amazing, Manoj, and hearing you say that. I'll just this is the craving I have in my life right now for the people in my life, is I just want to be like with people like you someplace, and we're just quiet together too, right? Like I just, I wanna experience the people that I feel connected to in ways that are so far removed from the societal constructs of how we are meant to look at friendship or relationship. You know, like can we just go sit somewhere and be quiet at the same time and that be enough and and find other ways to communicate with one another. You know, what What are you sensing in your body? What are you feeling? Can we just appreciate the what is in the moment uh, and allow nature and all the outside influences to kind of inform the experience? Like I'm craving that. I'm craving silence with people I care for. I'm craving, um, I'm just craving relating to people in a way that is so fully deprogrammed from the lens that was thrust upon each of us being Mm. on earth um, and being in a society.
5: Watch out, y'all. Devi and I are going to be running a retreat very soon. This sounds like a retreat idea. (laughs) 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 No, you know, I I think for me, it's not even that they have deprogrammed, it's that they have a desire to explore you know, because I definitely don't think I've awakened or I've enlightened. I definitely have the desire to do that, you know, for sure. And I think that desire is a healthy desire and having friends along the path makes it joyful, right? Because otherwise it's like real morbid sometimes, sitting with your mind and yeah. noticing up all your trauma. I'm like, this shit oh, is God, like right? boring. <laughs> like. But then you, you, you have a group of friends around you that that you can joke about it with and you can who can support you on the path. And, um, you know, a yoga studio can act like this. A meditation studio can be that an app can be like that, whatever it is, for whoever's listening to this, um, I invite you to find your people. Yeah, just find mm. your people and then hold them tight.
3: Mm, I, I love that find your tribe, and also don't have any attachment to what that's supposed to look like you know mm. like really be open to the possibilities of who could show up in your life in whatever shape or form and finding the ways that they can be um you know the, the synchronicities within which you guys were connected and finding the beauty mm. in it minoj thank you for coming on the show i am so grateful for your time
5: ah uh, always i love i love chatting to you we need to do this a lot more
3: Way more. Let's go be quiet together. Your book still together, everyone. Make sure you grab that copy. And of course, um, how can everyone find you? How can they connect?
5: Yeah, they can uh, find me on Open. Like I teach on there, I teach live classes, meditation classes. They can find me on Instagram. They can find me on my website. I'm really bad at selling myself. If you haven't picked that up, um yeah. but you well, know, I, you,
3: not my jam either. To be honest, right.
5: <laughs> if if whatever I've said speaks to you, then I'm sure you'll find a way to find
3: me oh i love that i love that yeah follow him on on instagram he also just did this really beautiful piece uh for vogue magazine so i really highly suggest everyone go check that out at the end of every show i love to ask the guest to provide a little soul work for the listeners and so that can be either a savored thought, a journaling prompt, um, a quote that you love, but something that for those that feel called, something that they can take away and spend some time with after this show ends.
5: Being present doesn't mean feeling good. Mm. And Mm. so that is more an invitation to consider when you are deeply present and it doesn't start to feel good can you be okay with that
3: wow mic drop wow Mm. (laughs) that oh wow yeah the way you phrase that that mm. love it i will be spending time with that as well minoj i hope to see you soon thank you for coming to the show
5: thank you debbie
3: yeah love all the things that you do
5: thank you sister i'll see you very very soon
3: Hey, find me on social. Let's connect. At Debbie Brown, that's Twitter and Instagram, or go to my website, DebbieBrown.com. And if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And send this episode to a friend. Dropping Gems is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Tribble and me, Debbie Brown.
1: Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.
2: Are you still searching for your perfect
0: place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck Yeah!